everyone, and welcome to another episode of Getting to Know Your Professors um, podcast hosted by Penn State AICHE. Um, today, with you, we, today with us, we have three different professors. Um, so before we begin, I'm going to ask all of them to introduce themselves. Um, so first up, we'll have Professor Aran. Okay, yes, I'm uh, Professor Gary Orant, and I've been at Penn State for three, this is the end of my third academic year, or beginning of fourth, depending on when you're listening to this. And I was at the University of Iowa for a long time before coming here. I did my undergraduate studies at the University of Nebraska and then graduate studies at North Carolina State University. Hi, my name is McTald Hillsley. Um, I have been at Penn State for a very long time. Um, I got my PhD from Penn State and then stuck around and worked in labs for a couple of years. And then I came back to teaching. Um, I got my undergrad in um, at Virginia Tech um, and then came straight to, to grad school at Penn State. Um, see, my main course that I've been teaching at Penn State has been um, the Unit Oper Operations Lab and I just recently started teaching um, 330 um, fluid mechanics. And my favorite part of Penn State is the great um, Penn State school spirit. Um, it's not something I experienced in my undergrad and it's, it really stands out at Penn State and it's really nice. That's awesome to hear, thank you. And last but not least, Professor Gomez. Good morning, I'm Esther Gomez and I started at Penn State in 2011. My undergraduate degree is in chemical engineering from the University of Florida. And then I did a PhD also in chemical engineering at uh, University of California, Berkeley. Since I've been at Penn State, I've taught a number of different courses. I often teach first year seminar uh, to introduce uh, new students to chemical engineering. Uh, one class that I've taught a lot is uh, fluid mechanics, CHE 330. Um, and then some electives that I teach are bioseparations, uh, biophysics for engineers. And then I've also taught a um, specialized design course where the projects are sponsored by industry. Um, and my favorite part of Penn State is the collegiality and um, just uh, friendliness of everyone. Great, thank you. So our first question of the day is, why did you pursue chemical engineering? And also to bounce off of that, why did you decide that you wanted to get your PhD? Um, so Professor Gomez. Um, actually, when I started out in undergrad, I wasn't sure what I wanted to major in. Um, I wanted initially to go to medical school and I did a lot of volunteer work at a hospital on campus. And after doing that, I decided that while I was interested in medicine, I didn't want to actually be um, a doctor. I wanted to find a way to uh, combine engineering and biology. And so that's how I ended up in uh, chemical engineering, because it's such a diverse field. Uh, it allows you to do uh, both biology and engineering and design new things to help in, in the area of medicine. Um, I went into a PhD because I really enjoyed doing research as an undergraduate student. And um, I, I could see myself doing research basically as my career. And to do that, I felt like um, a PhD was needed. Awesome, great, thank you. How about you, Professor Aran? Why did you wanna pursue chemical engineering and get your PhD? Well, when I started as an undergraduate, I, you know, I really liked math and science uh, all through school. And so it seemed pretty logical that I would Want to study engineering it seemed like the best place to uh you know to get all that math and science and i kind of left my option open for a semester or two 
uh, as to which which actual engineering major, but I think I always knew I wanted to do chemical engineering. I'm not sure why, maybe because it sounded like it was the most challenging or something. I don't know. Um, you know, I liked chemistry too. So, so I chose that. And then, um, yeah, I just had this go. I don't know where it came from, but I, I had in my mind that I wanted to, to get a PhD at some point. But I actually didn't do it. I didn't actually go straight to graduate school after graduating. I was kind of tired of school, actually, after being in school since, you know, kindergarten for, you know, how many years is that? Kindergarten through <laughs> four years of college. And um, so I, I didn't go to graduate school right away. I actually worked for a couple of years. But then, you know, that wasn't the most exciting thing either. I thought that uh, graduate school would would be more interesting. So so I did go to graduate school. And uh yeah, I got a PhD in chemical engineering. Great, thank you. And last but not least, Professor Hillsley. All right, so I was pretty clueless as a high school student. Um, I like math and science. Um, my dad said, you should be do engineering. I was like, okay, I'll do engineering because I had no idea. Um, you know, we didn't have the internet back there and I couldn't research it. Um, I don't know if you know either, but I was also the first in my family to go to university in the United States. So my parents, didn't know that much about the whole university system either. Um, so anyway, I went to Virginia Tech because my dad said, that's a good school. <laughs> so I was like, okay. Um, and I always liked chemistry, probably more because I had a great chemistry teacher. Later, I gravitated a lot towards biology too, but my high school biology teacher was really bad. Um, so I didn't like it at that time. Um, so that's how I ended up in chemical engineering. We took chemical, our first chemical engineering class pretty early on, I think second semester, well, we had quarters, so, and the freshman year. Um, and I, it was material science and energy balances, and I really liked the course. I thought, okay, I like it. So we did that, and how did I get to a PhD? That was somewhat convoluted too. Um, I had no idea there was such a thing as grad school when I was an undergrad, um, didn't know anything about it. Um, I was a co-op student, big advocate of co-op. Um, and we actually started right after freshman year. So I co-opted for almost a total of two years um, and figured out that what I did on my co-op job was great, but I wasn't gonna do that for another 20 years or 30 years. I'd be totally bored. Um, so I was looking for something different. I interviewed, I had a job offer. I was discussing that it was really between taking the job offer and going to graduate school and who would have been my, my supervisor said, if you have any inkling of going to graduate school, you should do it. So I'm like, all right, I'll do it. <laughs> so that's how I end up in graduate school. Um, Great, thank you. Thank you for sharing. So follow up on that also. Um, I know a lot of times students who are pursuing some sort of graduate school, they often wonder what is the main difference between their undergraduate versus graduates um, cycle. So do you guys have anything that you guys would like to share on that? If you guys remember any, um, Dr. Hillsley? Any differences between so I mainly went because I want, I felt like I hadn't learned that much and I wanted to do more. Um, I had never done research when I went to graduate school. So talking, <laughs> this speaks to my age. That was not common back then. So there were lots of people who had never done research. Um, it's not that way anymore. I love doing research. Um, I had seen a little bit. Um, so when I did co-op, I was in, in, I did sterile products in a pharmaceutical company. So I was familiar with cell culture work and that kind of stuff. So um, through the co-op and not through through schooling. Um, 
the difference is doing a lot of research and you know just focusing on a few classes and then really diving into a research question um, and trying to learn something new. How would you guys, Professor Aran or Gomez, do you guys have similar um, answers to that? Yeah, I think it's, you know, the graduate degree, especially PhD is very uh, research oriented and re revolves around, you know, creative work of some sort and wh whatever discipline it is, it's some sort of creative work. And in chemical engineering, that's, you know, science-based research. And um, so that's the main difference. The classes are important. You know, you have to do well in, in classes. Every program's got some core classes you need to take and you need to do well in them to continue on. But uh, after that, that's not really the emphasis, right? You may be just taking courses because they help you with the, you know, with your research. They might add to your understanding and you get to pick um, what courses maybe you take. And uh, there's not a standard curriculum for everyone doing a PhD, right? You have a, a thesis committee or dissertation committee and an advisor. The advisor will help you formulate your academic plan. And uh, so there's a lot of flexibility there. Uh, the creative work, I think, is if that excites you, then, then that's what you should be doing, right? You're not going to get that uh, in industry, uh, you know, unless you have a PhD. And so that's the main difference, I think. Mm -hmm. All right, thank you. Do you have anything else that you would like to comment on, Professor Gomez? No, I agree with, with uh, both of their answers. Uh, in addition, I would say um, the research focus is really centered on learning how to ask questions and then design ways to, to test those questions and those hypotheses. And so um, that's not something we always learn in an undergraduate program. And so, um, basically walking through the steps of the scientific method and so forth. So. Mm -hmm. Awesome, great. Thank you guys for sharing. So a lot of times students often wonder, um, how can we find a relation? How can I relate to a professor? So if you guys could share, what was your favorite undergraduate memory and favorite chemical engineering class as an undergrad? Um, professor Arand? Okay, well, you know, I, it's hard to pick a favorite memory, I guess, from undergrad. I enjoyed being in college, I probably enjoyed it too much. Um, my GPA probably suffered a little bit <laughs> from because I had a lot of fun, uh, but I still did fine. Um, yeah, lo lots of things uh, might come to mind. I, I'll just say one because it just came up recently. I was talking to my family about it because we're talking about, um, I don't remember how it came up exactly, but it was about someone getting a joke played on them. I. Uh, think I had a joke played on me I uh there, there was election day for our, I lived in the dorm I was a freshman in the dorm and it was the day that they had the elections for the residence hall association which is like the governing body for all the folks who lived in the dorms on campus right and I came home after a long day because I had chem lab that day I think so I got home late in the afternoon and some couple guys on the dorm floor said that they had written me in for residence hall uh, for our, for the representative for our dorm and residence hall association because apparently there there weren't enough candidates on the slate to uh, you know to fill out the whole slate and so they said they were writing me in they got a bunch of people to write me in and they were laughing about it so I ended up getting enough votes to get elected as a write-in and I accepted the position and uh, I ended up, before I graduated, I ended up actually being vice president of the Residence Hall Association on campus and was also a student senator in the, uh, in the 
campus, uh, you know, student senate for the whole campus. And so that, that started my political career, what I think was, was a joke being played on me. So that's one memory I have. As far as um, favorite course, I did like the uh, material and energy balance course. It's, you know, I thought that was, you probably think I'm sick, but I thought it was kind of fun doing those problems and figuring out the recycle. <laughs> and uh, so I like that. And I also actually enjoyed the, the senior design course. Mm -hmm. I found it fun to work with the team. We, uh, I lived in a, in a house that had been divided into apartments. It was owned by a chemie professor. And I lived in the upper part of the house with two other engineering students, uh, one of them a chemie, and he was on my design team. And there was an unfinished, kind of an unfinished attic, although it did have a, a wooden floor, not a finished floor, but just wood, you know, it wasn't just rafters. And so, and there were some narrow stairs going up there and we kind of fixed that place up, the three of us who lived there. So that was uh, sometimes a party place. And sometimes, uh, you know, when it came around to senior design, that was where we worked on our design project. Our other uh, team members would come over there and we set up tables. This was in the early days of personal computers, showing my age, right? People, not everybody had a computer. It was very uncommon, right? They were expensive. But one of the guys on the design team had a friend who had a computer and let us use it. So we had one of these early like IBM PCs, right? And we had that. So we actually had a computer that we could, we could use to type up our report so that we thought that was great. Um, you know, it didn't do, it wasn't hooked on to a network to do any fancy, uh, you know, we didn't have Aspen or anything like that. Uh, in fact, I had to go on campus to, to use computers to, you know, I wrote some code to design distillation columns that I thought would be helpful since it was a repetitive task. Um, but that was kind of fun gathering up there in our apartment and uh, working our design project. So again, you probably think I'm sick. No, I don't think so. M one of my favorite classes is uh, 210 Matera Energy Balances. Honestly, that's my favorite one. I always reflect on and people ask me like, oh, are you crazy? But no, that's my favorite one as well. How about you, Dr. Hilsley? What was your favorite undergraduate memory and chemical engineering class? Well, I really, um, you know, I told you I was on a co-op schedule and we, we were all, all the co-ops were on the same rotation. So it was about 15 students who had every chemical engineering class together. And sometimes we were in with the rest of the cohort and sometimes we were just by ourselves. So we had great camaraderie. <laughs> we, uh, you know, we always hung out together. We had a student lounge. We would discuss things. We had picnics and, you know, played volleyball. And so we had a great time. Um, but I also got at Virginia Tech, the unit ops lab was a summer lab. You had to go between junior and senior year. Um, and I got to do it um, in London. So um, DuPont sponsored like 12 students. Um, there was a scholarship, whatever, an interview, and then you got to go. Um, and you did it at the University of London and you spent six weeks there and two weeks in the middle, they took you of a tour of England. Um, anyway, we had a great time. And we had, there were, I don't know how many universities, there were like six US universities represented there. Um, most of them brought a professor. So I actually had a professor from Wisconsin grading my unit operations lab reports. Now talking about computers, computers were brand new, but England hadn't discovered computers yet. 
Um, so we had to handwrite our unit ops reports. And after having done it on a computer, that was, that was horribly. <laughs> um, can you imagine drawing your data graphs by hand, writing the entire report by hand? Um, that was not the fun part, but it was worth it because we were doing it in England. Um, my favorite class, it's kind of a, I, I really liked the, that first material bounds class too, for the same reason Professor Aran said he liked, I liked the problem solving. <laughs> um, but I also really liked the fluids class and that was probably the professor. That was my favorite chemi professor um, at Virginia Tech. He made it very personable, um, had lots of interesting stories, made it very hands-on applicable. Like he had stories about how, where it was useful and these kind of things. Um, so I felt like I was really learning something that I could use, mm -hmm. I could see myself using in the future. Um, so those are probably my favorite memories. Um, awesome, yeah. thank you for sharing. That um, yeah. studying abroad seems awesome, seems so much fun. I was supposed to study abroad in the spring when COVID hit, but I didn't go. <laughs> oh, yeah. How about you, Professor Gomez? What was your favorite undergraduate memory and chemical engineering class? So my favorite undergrad memories are probably just tied to the friends that I've made through um, the chemical engineering courses that I took. Um, we made study groups uh, to do homeworks and study for exams. And then some of those people ended up becoming my roommates later in college. And then from we were still friends even today. Uh, favorite class, uh, like Dr. Hilsley, my favorite undergrad class was fluid mechanics, um, just because I felt it was very um, you could picture what was going on um, in, in the different systems. And then the other class I really liked was my design class. Uh, my design was actually, it was called Integrated Product and Process Design, and it was a full year course. And the class um, was based on projects sponsored by industry. And the teams were interdisciplinary teams. So my design team had an industrial engineer and some chemical engineers. And uh, so basically it was composed of engineers from different majors. And so it really um, helped to kind of give us a, an idea of what it's really like to work um, mm -hmm. in a team with people from different backgrounds. But then we also got to work, we had a faculty mentor and we also had a mentor from uh, the company that we worked with. We worked with Kimberly Clark and we got to visit uh, the, the company site um, and uh, meet with the engineers there. And uh, it, was, it was just a good experience to um, kind of simulate what, what it might be like when you actually go out into industry um, and, and start working on different projects. That's awesome, that's awesome. That's something that I constantly uh, tell Professor Savage about to make a more cross-functional teams <laughs> within our uh, design project. But, so all of you guys are professors and you guys got your PhD for a reason. So what is your favorite part of being a professor? Professor Gomez? Um, I really like interacting with students, uh, both in the classroom and in the research lab. It's a lot of fun to see them uh, learn new things and, and get excited about doing research. And um... Awesome, thank you. How about you, Professor Ron? What's your favorite part of being a professor? Well, I think one of the best things is just being on a college campus, you know, I, I think college campus is a good environment, right? It's 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 an enjoyable place to hang out, if nothing else, and that's where you get to work, right? Uh, being around young people all the time, I think, has kept me a little bit younger. So uh, <laughs> that's a good side effect. Um, but also, kind of the 
the freedom that you have to, you know, you're not, you have responsibilities, but you're not told exactly everything that you have to do, right? You have some freedom in, de in deciding what your work is. And I think that is certainly one thing that I enjoy about being a professor, sort of that freedom of, of deciding what it is you're going to do, you know, within, within some bounds, of course. But. Mm -hmm. Great, thank you. How about you, Professor Hesley? What's your favorite part of being a professor? My favorite part is the student interactions, um, you know, talking, talking to students um, and really diving in. So, you know, in the, in the lab, we do the oral reports and, and the discussion portion, portion of the oral reports, um, just like off and office hours and things like that, where we, you know, discuss in detail and, and you can see the, the understanding starting to come. And it's like, oh, okay, that, that's really my favorite part. Mm -hmm. So most of you kind of touched on upon um, interacting with students, um, being on campus um, and the livelihood. So how has your Zoom teaching experience have been um, given that now we're all virtual? Professor Hosley? Well, last semester, um, Professor Veligal and I taught 3.30, what, a mixed mode. So we were actually on campus and then Zoomed the rest. Um, I really like that. Um, well, I liked it <laughs> because it was not so much Zoom to me because I was actually in the class and there were some students there and I got the direct feedback. Um, mm -hmm. When I was on just Zoom, I mean, it was okay. Um, when, the, when the screens, when the videos are turned off, it's really weird um, trying to talk to people because you don't get the visual feedback. Mm -hmm. um, so that part, so even though the lab is in person, you know, this semester we, we're doing so much on Zoom with the oral reports and things like that. It's actually more on Zoom than the, um, than 3.30 was. Um, and for, for small groups, it's fine. Um, although I still think it's, it would be better if we were in person, um, there's better interaction, there's more, you know, body language and things like that. Um, but I get bored sitting at home. Um, I really am itching to get back, you know, be able to easily step into the lab. Um, mm -hmm. It's hard to do when you're at home and you have to drive. I guess one plus is also no commute. Um, so it makes family life a little bit easier, um, but I'm ready to be back in the building and see my colleagues and have that personal, more personal interaction with students that mm -hmm. Zoom keeps a bit at a distance. That's great. That that's something you look forward to definitely next year whenever we start back up again. How about you, Professor Gomez? How has your Zoom experience been? So in spring 2020, when we had to transition, that was very challenging because within a, about a week's notice, we all had to just flip from being in person for everything to being um, uh, teaching everything via Zoom. So I know it presented challenges for all the students, but it was also a lot of challenges for uh, the faculty as well. And so, um, basically figuring out how to run Zoom and do uh, switch back and forth between say PowerPoint versus OneNote so that you could show lectures. Um, took a little getting used to. And then like Dr. Hilsey said, um, when there's a lot of black screens and no faces, it's when people have cameras off, it's hard to know if um, people are actually even listening. Um, but um, in the end, uh, it, it went okay last spring. And I've actually been on sabbatical this whole year. And so I have not taught in fall 2020 or this spring. So 
I will be back in the classroom um, this fall doing bioseparations. So that's awesome. Thank you. How about you, Professor Arant? How was your Zoom experience? I think similar to to what uh, professors Hillsley and Gomez have, Gomez have said. You know, it's difficult to gauge that. Um, you know how how the how the interaction is going when it's just faces at best on a screen. Sometimes you don't even see the faces and you can't see everybody if it's a big class and you don't really know, you know, you're talking to a box and you don't really know if, if students are getting it. And uh, so that makes it tough. Uh, of course, there are the advantages of, of not having the commute when you're on Zoom, you just, uh, you know, walk from the kitchen to the computer or whatever you gotta do. <laughs> And there are a few things that have been nice as far as meeting with students at weird hours and so forth that I wouldn't have done before. Uh, you know, somebody needs help at eight o'clock at night and I happen to be at the computer and I say, hey, why don't you just join my Zoom room and we'll talk about it. So there've been those kind of things, uh, advisees who want to talk about something, uh, we're having trouble over the weekend or whatever and we could meet. So those things you know maybe we should figure out how to keep some of those things mm -hmm. um, of course the downside is then you have constant intrusion on your home life too maybe but uh, you can manage those things i think um, but as far as the teaching you know that there's some things that work well but not being with people in person is just kind of weird you know if i saw my class on campus I don't know how many of the students I would actually recognize as being students in my class, right? Because mm -hmm. it's just, you just see them, you know, maybe you see their face on a screen sometimes, but if they're not someone who came to office hours a couple of times or so forth, you just might not even recognize them as being, you know, you might know the names of the people in your class, but you ran into somebody. I, I can't guarantee that I would know somebody in my class. <laughs> to comment off of that, um, so ASCHE and OXC had an in-person event um, on the 23rd of April. And like I, so I'm the president this year and I've never seen some of my officers in person. And so at the event, when I saw them for the first time, so many people were much taller than expected or like I, I didn't even recognize them. I thought they were like here to pick up merch. And I was just like, kept asking them questions like, oh, what's your name? Like, what's your email? So searching up and I'm like, oh wait, that's one of my officers. So I totally get that. <laughs> um, so yeah. oftentimes um, when careers as, as a student, we never know what we want to do. And so if you guys were not a professor, what do you guys think you guys would be doing? Um, professor Gomez? That's a good question. I'd probably be working in the medical field or, or biotech. Yeah. Great, thank you. Um, professor Hosley? I would probably be doing the same thing. Biotech, medical field, um, in industry. Um, I kind of fell into teaching. <laughs> so. I didn't set out to become a teaching professor. Um, in fact, way back when, I think I was one of the few um, who didn't do research with the teaching. So, but yeah, I was, my, my research was also biomedically oriented and that is where my co-op and my internships all were. Um, so that's probably where I would end up. Maybe you guys can start a startup soon. <laughs> <laughs> I fell into this because I was part, I wanted to be part-time because mm. I, have, I have four kids um, and they took up a lot of time. And I'm not sure in industry that would be quite as easy as it was right. um, at a university. 
Um, so that really was the factor that pushed me in this direction. Mm -hmm. Awesome, great. How about you, Professor Aron? Oh, I'm not sure, you know, I uh, have a lot of interests. And so, um, you know, well, let's, let's make it more fun. Let's say, what if I wasn't doing chemical engineering at all? What would I, what would I be doing? So, you know, I like to, I kind of like to cook. I enjoy barbecue. So, you know, maybe I'd be running a barbecue restaurant or something, but I know that's a lot of work to run a restaurant. That's a tough job. So it probably wouldn't be too fun after a while, but uh, yeah, maybe something like that. You know, there's a lot of chemical engineering in that. If you, if you, if you want to apply it there, I'm sure there are a lot of things you could do, right? And mm -hmm. uh, getting the right uh, temperature and humidity and level of smoke for the right amount of time on your, on your brisket or whatever to make it taste good. So uh, I'd probably be doing that and figuring out the right process controls for a smoker and, and uh, <laughs> designing a, an automated way to do it because, uh, you know, I don't like to work hard. So, right. Yeah. <laughs> the That's best awesome. engineer is a lazy engineer, right? <laughs> yes. Um, speaking of barbecue, so in a couple of our other episodes with other faculty, um, for example, Professor O, she also likes to make barbecue and she was like, I'm going to make my own barbecue party for the faculty. <laughs> well, originally it was going to be for her lab, but um, Professor She was in there with her and she was like, oh, so it's only your students, not the whole faculty. So Professor O was like, I'll expand it to the whole faculty. And in our past episode with um, Professor Mr. Gomez, Enrique Gomez, um, he also was talking about how I forget at the top of my head, but he was going to make something. And um, I was like, well, you guys can all join forces, create a faculty potluck. <laughs> so you guys will have that looking forward to. And uh, so, yeah. Um, so one of the other things uh, students often wonder is about what do you guys do in your typical day? So if you guys could kind of walk us through um, what do you guys do from like wake up to bedtime? Um, this can be pre-COVID or during COVID times. Um, Professor Ron. Well, you know, I'm, I get up and I uh, try to get up early enough so I, I don't have to rush because I'm slow at, at getting started in the morning. Usually, it takes me a while to get going. But I have a dog and and um, I walk him every day. So we got this dog. Probably been like five years or so now. We we had got this dog. We went to the shelter, got a dog. They um, they estimate. When they get a dog in the shelter, they, they have to estimate its age, right? And so they put a birth date. They don't know exactly, right? It was a, an abandoned dog. But this dog had my birthday. So, so we adopted this dog, and he's a mutt. And I had a deal with my wife, who's, uh, you know, Professor Peoples, uh, associate mm -hmm. dean. And because she's more of a morning person. So she was going to walk the dog in the morning, and I would walk the dog at night or whenever, right? Well, we adopted this dog in January in Iowa, you know, similar climate to here. And we had a bunch of snow. So I think it was the sixth day after we got the dog. Uh, Tanya was walking the dog in the morning. I hadn't even gotten up yet, or maybe it was just getting up. And uh, she called me. She had, I think she'd made it back into the house, but she had slipped on the ice walking the dog and broke her ankle. Oh. And uh, so she was in recovery for a while. So I had to walk the dog. So her promise of walking the dog every morning lasted six days. <laughs> and so now I've been walking the dog. But hey, that gets me up and gets me started on my exercise. Uh, so yeah, I got this mud and he, he, you know, he's not satisfied unless I walk him, right? Somebody else can walk him. It doesn't matter. He's bugging me because that's, that's the routine. So 
that's kind of what I do in the morning. I eat my breakfast and, you know, COVID times, then I head to the computer. And, you know, before that, I would get in the car and drive to campus, typically. And so that's how I get started. You want me to keep going? Yes. <laughs> okay. Well, usually, I, you know, I make it to, to the computer or to campus in time for whatever class I've got to oversee, whether it's the lab or design class or something. Um, and, uh, you know, get through that. And then I'm usually in my office for a while, uh, working on whatever class prep and grading or whatever. And uh, if I'm on campus, I'll usually make it out of the building for, you know, for lunch, get a walk on campus, get some fresh air, uh, get back and get at it again for the rest of the afternoon. Uh, not too exciting there, I guess. So you know what else there is to say. You don't walk the dog again at night? I do. I do. I get home and I walk the dog. See, now he's spoiled because there's always somebody home, mm -hmm. right? And so I don't know what it's going to be like when when we're all back at work and kids are at school and he's got to be alone again, just the dog and the cat. Um, we'll see how that goes. Because right now he gets walked at least twice a day, mm -hmm. unless it's rainy. <laughs> he just goes out in the backyard. All right. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing. How about you, Professor Gomez? What is your day like? Um, I guess I'll tell you about a day in COVID. Um, so I usually try to get up early. Um, doesn't always happen. I'm not a morning person either. Um, but get up, try to get myself ready. And then I have two kids in kindergarten and fourth grade. And so get both of them up and get them dressed and fed breakfast and get lunches ready. Um, they are going to school in person. So we then drive them to school. Um, and then after that, I come back and I usually spend a lot of time on Zoom meetings, whether on meetings with uh, students uh, in my research group talking about uh, their research projects or um, other types of meetings or uh, workshops, um, try to squeeze in some time for lunch. Um, when I'm not in Zoom meetings, um, working on lots of other things like writing papers or writing proposals or prepping for various other um, things. Like I run a research program in the summer for undergraduates. And so we've been working a lot on prepping for that as well. Um, then mid afternoon to go back and pick up my two kids from school. And um, sometimes they are independent and play on their own after school and other times they demand a lot of attention. Um, then dinner time, uh, have to get them ready for bed. Um, once they're asleep, um, sometimes I stay up and do additional work. Um, and yeah, that's, that's pretty much my day right now. Um, Great, thank you for sharing. How are you Professor Hesley? What does your day look like? It's a mix of the two. Uh, so I, I get up and I'm the designated dog walker in our household. Um, I don't know how I got that, probably because I volunteered because I wanted the exercise. Um, so first thing I do is walk the dog. Um, and the benefit of COVID is I have a little bit more time in the morning. So I actually take them on a longer walk than I used to. Mm -hmm. So yeah, she's getting very spoiled with people at home all the time and lots of walks. Um, I have one kid left at home. He is, well, he'll, he'll, he's got a birthday coming up. So he's almost 13, so he's in seventh grade. Um, so I make sure he's ready for school. 
but he's on a, he's been on an alternating schedule. So one day he's in school and the other day he's home. <laughs> so if he's going to school in person, I can get a lot of work done. If he's home, I have to monitor him because he likes to multitask during school. Um, Sounds like my siblings. <laughs> so once he's, so anyway, so he's in school. I, I go to my computer. I've now, my, my oldest daughter moved out. So I've commandeered her room and that's now my office. Um, so yeah, I work on the computer class, grading, whatever, ABET, uh, all these things. Um, and then usually lunchtime runs, runs around and I try to keep that free so I can eat lunch with my son if he's home. Um, and he is superbly into birding. And so he's usually trying to weasel a birding trip out of me during lunchtime. So we have to go into Scotia Range or we go to the park or we go, <laughs> if we have a lot of time, if his class ends early, he's like, can we go to Black Mashannon? It's like, um, <laughs> we, have, we have to do a little time management discussion with him. It's like, that's a 40 minute drive. You only have two hours. Um, Anyway, come back, work in the afternoon. And then after school, we do the same routine. He tries to weasel a birding trip out of me, um, pretty much. And then usually I cook dinner and he's got either soccer or swimming or scouts in the evening. I mean, for a lot in the fall, he had almost nothing, but now things are picking back up again. So he has some activities. So our my life revolves around him and then squeezing in the work. Um, mm -hmm. And really when he's home, he's, he's quite distracting because in between class breaks, he likes to rile up the dog and get her barking. So <laughs> that's when I've got to quickly shut the door, hit mute. Um, anyway, but I mean, it's kind of fun because he's gotten superbly into the birding and I'm actually now learning some of these birds, although I can't say I love it the way he does. Um, but I do like going outside um, and going for walks. So with the nicer weather, that's that sure is nice. But when it's freezing cold and looking through binoculars, a little speck in the distance. Doesn't do it for me, but. Sounds like a fun day. That's great. Thank you guys all for sharing. Um, so we're gonna bounce up to the fun side of things. If you could shrink any animal and keep it for a pet, what animal would that be? Well, I guess, uh, you know, I like cats. And so I could sh shrink a big cat like a tiger down, but that wouldn't be much different from a house cat anyway, I suppose. So, uh, so I think I'll go, I'd have to go with a bear because Everybody likes a teddy bear, right? So if you can shrink down a bear, keep it for a pet. I, you know, bears seem like pretty smart animals, probably trainable and um, yeah. So I think I'd go with a bear, cuddly, cuddly, cuddly teddy bear. Awesome, great. How about you, Professor Gomez? You know, I've never had a pet in my entire life. So um, that's, that's a hard question, but uh, we do have, I guess I wouldn't have to shrink it down, but we do have rabbits in our yard in the in the springtime and my kids love the little rabbits in the yard especially the baby ones mm -hmm. last year they named one uh, dandelion and the baby that we've seen in our yard this year is daffodil so probably if we had a, a pet maybe maybe a bunny rabbit that's awesome thank you how about you professor Hosey? what animal would you shrink well i didn't grow up with pets either and i became a dog lover through my husband <laughs> and Actually, I'm still not a general dog lover. I'm a my dog lover. <laughs> um, my, my husband will seek out any pet, any dog, right? And he'll, he's got to go pet them and play with them and everything. But if it's somebody else's dog, it, I don't know, they kind of scare me because I didn't grow up with dogs. So I don't know if I want another pet. 
<laughs> it's uh, the only thing, it, you know, I had a, I did have a stuffed koala bear when I was growing up that I really liked. So mm -hmm. um, I could go for, I mean, they're not that big to start with, but I'd rather have them smaller than larger. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Same with the dogs. The dog I have right now, we have an Australian Shepherd, but she's on the small side. I can deal with her, but any larger than that, that's too large. Mm -hmm. so. That's great. Thank you. All right. So another one just added, if you can have each finger as a condiment, like if you could like dispense any condiment from each of your fingers, what condiments would we have on your five fingers? <laughs> um, Professor Hillsley? Oh gosh, that's a tough one. Because um, it depends what you call condiments, right? So I, I didn't grow, I, I'm not American by birth, right? I'm a, I'm a European. <laughs> we don't do all the mayo and the, all that stuff on sandwiches. So let's see, I would go with like, I don't know if you can count this, but I like putting hummus on my sandwich. So maybe I'll do that. Um, I do like like stone ground mustard, maybe honey mustard. Hmm. Something uh, horseradishy, um, something spicy. And I really don't know. Well, maybe, How about a drink? Your favorite drink? <laughs> your favorite drink at your disposal? <laughs> uh, yeah, the drinking has gone up a little bit in our family with, uh, with COVID. Uh, more cocktails, more wine. <laughs> um, my, my kids are old enough to drink, so except for the last one. How about you, Professor Ron? What would your condiment, finger condiments be? Okay, well, one would have to be hot sauce because you know we live here in central Pennsylvania where when they say something is, is hot, it isn't. When they say it's hot, it's not. Okay, so <laughs> so I'd, I'd have hot sauce on one. And then I suppose, you know, you got your standard three, you got your, uh, your, your ketchup, mustard, and mayo. So if I put those, and then I don't know, for, the, for, the, for another one, we do the thumb, you said five. Mm -hmm. So, because uh, we've, you know, we've got a lot of students from the Philly area, I'll make them happy and say, uh, cheese whiz. We'll do cheese whiz on the thumb, but I, hopefully I won't end up sucking my thumb. <laughs> awesome, thank you. Okay. How about you, Professor Gomez? What would, what condiment, com condiments would you have? Um, let's see, I, I like stone ground mustard, like, uh, Dr. Hillsley, barbecue sauce. We love ribs at my house, so we always have a bottle of barbecue sauce around. Um, I like blue cheese dressing for like wings and like uh, carrots and celery. Um, and then my husband is from South America, from Peru, and there they have this um, pepper called an ahi and you can make it into this like ahi sauce and so it's kind of like a spicy pepper sauce and we like that and then last i really like sweets so my last one will probably be something like chocolate syrup mm. interesting awesome thank you guys for sharing i could change one of mine to that That's <laughs> another hand yeah <laughs> I, I can get rid of the ketchup and, and put chocolate syrup in there that sounds good <laughs> Alrighty. Um, so as we dive down with this podcast episode, um, what advice would you give someone who's just graduating? 
Um, I guess a chemical engineering degree is very diverse and versatile. And um, once you go out into the world, don't be afraid to um, change things up, move to a different job, move to a completely different sector of engineering if you want to, um, because you have, you have a very strong training and um, seek something that you're really excited about and passionate about. There we go. <laughs> the dog's coming. Yeah. How about you, Professor Hesley? What advice would you give um, someone just graduating? I would give very similar advice, you know, be, be open to try new things and don't be afraid because your life, your career can go in many different directions and, you know, you don't, there's no reason to stay stuck. You can move all over the place. Um, and like Professor Gomez said, you, you've got the training, um, you can pretty much tackle anything. So, you know, if the opportunity arises and it sounds interesting, go for it. All right. And Professor Ron, do you have anything to add to that? Uh, well, yeah, I would agree with those things. And maybe to add, just say, you know, remember what the important things are in life too. So it's not all about what job you have, um, <laughs> but, and, and you'll have other responsibilities right after you graduate and, uh, but other opportunities too. And so enjoy those things. Uh, college, some people don't wanna leave college, right? It's like, it's a, it's a fun place. You're like, oh no, I'm graduating. Now I have to go get a job. Other people really look forward to, to, to moving on. But, you know, it's going to happen. You have to move on with your life. And so um, just uh, take those things in stride. Look for the opportunities. And, you know, remember what's important in life, too. And that's, I guess that's all I have to add. All right. And then on the, on the flip side of things, um, what is one thing, what is one advice that you would give to someone starting the major or something that you wish you knew when you were an undergrad? Professors are... Uh, you know, willing to help you if you if you have a question about something, right? And so this podcast is good if it helps students not feel intimidated because don't feel intimidated to go talk to your professors. You know, I think maybe I might've felt a little intimidated too when I was an undergraduate and uh, there was something I didn't get right away. I, you know, I maybe wouldn't want to go to talk to the professor, you know, maybe that'd be embarrassing or something. Well, don't worry about that. Okay, uh, professors are, generally helpful, right? And don't be embarrassed if you think you don't get something. You're almost certainly not the only one who's had a problem with it. And you might even find that, hey, the professor, they might not tell you, but the professor themselves might have struggled with that when they were an undergraduate a long time ago. You know, there's some things that don't come to everyone right away. Mm -hmm. And we tend to sometimes forget when we learn something, right? We've been through undergrad, grad school, we know this, you know, we know thermodynamics now, right? And, uh, but maybe we forget that when we were an undergrad, it didn't click right away for us either, right? It wasn't until we got to graduate school where it all kind of came together. And so, you know, we are human, like you're trying to convey here with this podcast, and uh, we understand. So I think that's one thing uh, that the students should know when they're undergrads. Seek out help from professors. Awesome, great, thank you. Professor Hosley? Yeah, I would say similar to that, um, but also add to that, you know, just not about classes, but come in and, you know, don't be afraid to talk about maybe career opportunities or research, or, you know, you're not sure about those things. Those are things I, I wish I had talked to my professors about, um, but I didn't even think that was something I could talk about. Um, 
that didn't even occur to me, and I'm sure it doesn't occur to a lot of students. Mm -hmm. um, but we're there for more than you know, class advice and and, and things like that. Um, the other advice I would say is do a co-op. Um, I loved my co-op. I learned so much from the co-op experience, and I think it's so beneficial. Um, you learn a ton, and it also breaks up your schooling, um, so you get a break from studying, which is really nice. And, and you, you, know, you work a forty-hour week or longer, um, so you see the flip side too. So it makes you enjoy going back to classes, um, and helps you get motivated to study. I can definitely echo off of that. I did a co-op my fall junior year, and um, as much as I loved it, I was like, "Oh, I'm ready to go back to school so I can finish. So I can go back and do what I did." Um, but yeah. How about you, Professor Gomez? What is one piece of advice um, you would tell someone starting the major? I guess in addition to what they've said, I would suggest to use your time at Penn State or while you're in undergrad to, to explore. Um, if you have interests beyond just chemical engineering, uh, take classes in it or, or join clubs on campus so that you can explore those other interests because it just gets harder to do new things later when you get busier and busier. Um, and so for instance, if you're interested in arts or you're interested in history or you're interested in a language, do it. When I was an undergrad, I took Russian as, as a language and it wasn't required. I took a history of medicine class um, and, and I wish I had been able to take an art class um, I, I just wasn't able to get in because they weren't letting non-majors into the art classes at the time. But um, I, I really think you should use your time to um, become a well-rounded person and, and enjoy um, the time you're here and, and really explore other, other areas in addition to, to learning about chemical engineering. Awesome, great. So now um, before we close off, I wanted to open up to Roundtable. If any of you guys wanna share anything um, that haven't been said, or if you guys want to ask each other questions as well. I can tell you a funny story that I had, I just thought about when we were you were asking about a memory. It wasn't my favorite memory, but um, when I first had my very first chemistry class, our professor told us, well, first he did the, you know, look to your left, look to your right. Only one of the three of you is going to be left at the end of the semester. And then he goes, well, and now think about how much you want to do chemical engineering which I had no idea if I wanted to or not, but he said, you only, if you don't, if you aren't totally sure you want to chemical engineering, you should drop out right now because it's a dying profession. <laughs> so he was quite wrong. <laughs> um, so I started, I started the, it was a deep recession in chemical engineering when I started it and nobody was getting jobs and the oil industry was way down. Mm -hmm. By the time I graduated, everybody in our class had at least three offers. Yeah, it was, there weren't enough chemical engineers coming up. So he was completely wrong. And since then it's just expanded and expanded and expanded. So it's kind of funny thinking back. Um, I don't know where he got that idea, <laughs> but obviously he wasn't creative thinking and he wasn't thinking at the, of the expansion into the biology area and all those other things. Awesome, thank you for sharing that story. I'll take this time to thank you guys for your time for today and recording this podcast episode with us. Uh, I'm sure all the students who are listening, they really appreciate it. And um, hopefully they'll have you in the future and kind of get to know you a little bit better um, than just a face with a name. And so thank you guys again uh, for your time and everything. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Annie. <laughs>